Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 23rd day of March 2016. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser and Alex Graham. And uh, we're going to have a good show for you today here. A lot of good information, I hope. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to call in. Our call-in number is 347-237-4819. And then when you get the queue, just uh, uh, hit one, and that will bring you right into us. Gerald, hear me? Yeah. Yeah, uh, T-Bird, is that you? That's me. Well, I thought it was. Uh, How you doing today? Welcome aboard. has to say, so let's get him going. Yeah, he's got a good story today. Uh, Alex, uh, you want to kind of enlighten us on your your escapade there in Vegas? Yes, I will, sir. I, I was just waiting for you all this time for the two minutes before the show started as well. I was just waiting for me to... <laughs> For you to say, well, Alex, how are you doing? I was all set with my perfect opening line. I says, if I felt any better, I'd, you'd have to nickname me Yule Gibbons. I even had grape nuts this morning. <laughs> but you uh, well, didn't ask me how I was today. Well, well I didn't have a chance. T-Bird, T-Bird jumped, jumped all over me there to get you going. I'm terribly sorry about that, Alex. <laughs> you want to know how you're doing. I saw your pictures of the slot machine, so I think okay. <laughs> my wife taught me how to do that. There's a special thing you can do. That's a, a trick about these one-armed bandits and the programs down there at the racetrack when you're a horse racing. You can run your hand over that machine, and it, there's a, a vibration, a feeling, a warmth, a, a heat that comes into your hand when you're still holding it about six inches away from it. So the ones that feed your wallet. Oh, so basically you're looking for a hot one? Yeah, you just put your hand on your, you just kind of feel the aura around the machine before you sit down in front of it, and, and you, you feel it. I have actually one jackpot on a feeling. Can you, can you uh, like, can you witch for water and things like that when you lose something? Can you bend a couple of couple of wires and go out in the garden and like witch for your wedding ring or something if it fell in the dirt or something like that? I've never, you ever tried done that before. That. I've never tried that. I've only tried it at slot machines. <laughs> I mean, 
which per uh, water wells, yeah, we <coughs> used ours, which when I was a kid, used a peach limb. Well, I, I learned it late in life from an electrical inspector one day on a job. I says, I'm not sure where the wires are out here, but they're right around in here somewhere. And he says, you got any copper wire? I'll find them for you. And he showed me how they did it. I started around with I can find water lines and all kinds of stuff on the property that before I dig to hit them with a backhoe or something. Impressive. You can find an electrical wire, an old drain pipe or something like that. It just they all show up somehow when you're walking around looking for it. That's cool. <clears throat> well, it's sure cheaper than hitting them with tobacco. <laughs> you have a very valid point there, Alex. <laughs> hey, you know when Deb and I got down there in Las Vegas, it, it was uh, it was it's hard to to walk in there because I'm just you know a little know nothing not even quite a VA agent yet and my name tag has Ask Not on it. It's kind of uh, kind of impacts you, takes your breath away when somebody like a, a veteran's law judge comes running up to you and he says, you're Alex Graham and I look down at his badge and it says Brad Hennings on it and I go well hi Brad, yeah I am where do you practice? He says, well I'm a veteran's law judge in Washington D.C. We all read your blog." Oh, wait a minute. We? How many's we? And he goes, well, about 35, 40 of us really get a bang out of reading your BVA and CAVC decisions. I'm thinking to myself, my God, I had no idea anybody like that was reading me. I figured there might be an attorney here and there around the country like Bob Walsh likes to read my stuff and Katrina Eagle and a few others, but I had no idea that veterans law judges were reading my stuff. That's a... It's enough to make you want to cha- either change what you're writing and tone it down a little bit for fear you might get sued, or just keep writing. Just keep writing. <laughs> keep well, writing. anyway, he and I had a really, really long talk. I could start with what he had to say, but <clears throat> I know might as well because it's kind of important, especially for all your readership out there at Nask Nod, and that is. Brad is just dumbfounded by the number of cases that they're getting that are coming out of veterans, uh, the VAROs, the local regional offices, that are so ill-prepared, unprepared, incomplete. He spends about 80% of his time, he estimated, just checking little remand boxes off and sending this stuff back to the regional offices. Anytime a guy comes up uh, for EIU, he's supposed to have an 8940, 21-8940 form filled out. But even if he wasn't, if if the claim had to consider TDIU because he was eligible for it now, they do have to consider it. <clears throat> he says these things come up to him. Oh, 60% of them come up to him with no Social Security records, which the VA knows they need to include. It's like they just built in a, a screw-up so that as soon as it gets to the BVA, it just makes a U-turn when it comes up in the docket. Makes a U-turn, the judge signs off on it, says send it back on a remand, go get your Social Security records, adjudicate the claim, 
And then if you still can't grant the guy his TDIU, send it back up to me, and I'll take a look at it. Maybe I'll give it to him. So it, they built in the remand. The VA did, not the BVA. The BVA is responding to what they get. But Brad's contention was is that regional offices are just building in a remand automatically to delay your claim or to create more time to give them more work to accomplish before it ricochets back like a boomerang ring and comes back to St. Petersburg or wherever to be well, what, what, with what the Social they, Security records. What do they get out of that? What does the VA get out of that? Does it make their numbers look better? Does it? Well, why would, I think... I think what primarily what happens is that they are so rushed for time, they just check off the box, certify it, sign off on the VA uh, Form 8, and, and kite it into the mail as certified and send it to D.C., knowing it's coming back. But it gives them a breather to work on finishing off all of the stuff that Allison Hickey said they were going to have done by 2015, and that is zero claims on the books, everything in D.C. waiting to be appealed. But they're just sending it out prematurely. Some of them are arriving up there, uh, Brad said, some were arriving without so much as a statement of the case. And and that shouldn't have even left the, the shop without that. You can't really, you can't form a VA, you can't file a VA-9 unless there's an SOC somewhere in there. No and they're problem. saying that, that they re-adjudicated something, they gave him part of something, and then they appealed the rest of it to D.C., but they never issued an SOC or an SSOC on it, so they left it hanging. And they knew that before they let it go to D.C. And that's what Brad's just, he's just aggravated to the nth degree that he can't even do his job because they won't give him the correct paperwork so that he can help the veteran. Oh, man. If you if that doesn't make your face kind of get a little long and the smile turn to a frown, I asked him, I said, you know, I know you have 20 teams of three guys each, and they're all made up of MVETs, VFW, DAV, uh, American Legion. Each group of three is not necessarily all DAV guys. It might be two DAVs and one American Legion, whoever's available. There's three teams of, of uh, <clears throat> 20 teams of three. That's 60 VSO super representatives. And these guys are guys who have passed the VA agents test. They're senior raiders, senior guys that work for DAV and all the other VSOs. And they get your claim and they go running off with it into the back room because you have given your POA to DAV. And this jerk holds on to it for about six months. And finally, all he does is he says, gee, Your Honor, would you please give Johnny Vett, my, my DAV constituent here, would you please give him the benefit of the doubt and give him PTSD? They don't say, well, we sent him out and the doctor came back with a positive nexus of this. They just say, would you please give him the benefit of the doubt? They don't develop the claim like an attorney would. They don't right. go out the nexus letter. They don't do anything. They just throw this guy in front of the judge and say, give him the benefit of the doubt, Your Honor. Judge can't. Judge says, God, I'd love to, ma'am, but you didn't present me with the, those three things you need to win with. Sorry, you lose. Right. So Brad's looking at me. He says, how come these guys don't arrive? How, how, how did they get all the way to D.C. with no claim, basically? 
What's the purpose of it? Why do that? Why doesn't the VSO go, oh, excuse me, Bob, before you take off to D.C., we better make sure you have a nexus letter and, and have that, that broken leg or the shrapnel wound or whatever still in your STRs from back in 1968, or you're going right. to lose. They don't do that. And Brad says there wouldn't be a backlog at the BVA if, if all those claims arrived ready to be adjudicated instead of wasting a lot of time. Some huh. uh, some of the things he's seen are claims that have been remanded three or four times. When it finally gets back to him and he thinks he's going to rate this thing, he looks down and he says, well, holy mackerel, the last time you had a C&P was in 2008 when this thing first came to the BVA. So he has to remand it yet again for a C&P exam to find out if he's worse, better, or what. That's how long these things take. That they, they get so delayed for so long, eventually you have to send them back out to get more evidence because that's how old the guy is. He's, he's eight years older. Right. <clears throat> and maybe he's eight years more PTSD than he was when he, when he filed the claim, he might have filed and been eligible for 30, but he might be eligible for 100 by now, especially if it's a VA claim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Another valid point, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you work with him as long as I have since 1989, you wonder why you don't have bent brain syndrome from it. I, it just, I, you know, I get, I get, I get aggravated. I get a little. Tighten the jaw, not just because of what they did to me, but what they keep doing, and they know better. They know how to do it. And a veterans law judge comes to me and he says, you know, they know how to do it, but they're, they're not doing it. They're doing it incorrectly. Having an excuse for it. They have books. M21 tells them exactly how to do it, and they don't even follow it. So <clears throat> I got this one fellow. I don't know. I put up a post over here on my site that should be up right now. I oh no, it's not to the front right now. It's it's the one with all the slot machine pictures on it. Yeah, is or that no. the one with you and Chris and Ben Cross? That was yeah, I think we took that on a Thursday morning or Friday morning, the three of us got together. We're sitting there talking, sitting together and talking, somebody said, Hey, let's get a picture. <laughs> oh that's a great shot. It's like three great guys. Doing God's work. Chris said, uh, I can't think of that song that had the Chevy Chase and two other guys in it. It was called Three Gay Amigos. (laughs) 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 Assuming gay meaning the old form of gay, not the three queer amigos. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I did put up a post here. It's called Had It Post-It Notes on my uh, radio notes on my blog right now. It's at the very top. If you scroll down to the bottom of it, there's an interesting side note. Uh, the guy that I've been helping, uh, Butch Long, guy I got his medals for him and his combat infantryman badge and finally got him his 100% TDIU. <clears throat> we couldn't get VA to x-ray him properly at his compensation and pension exam. They didn't want to talk about his head. They didn't want to talk about his left hand. They just didn't want to talk about his rib cage. So finally, I said, "Hey, you know, we got Medicare. Let's let's sashay on down to my doctor, run you through the X-ray machine," and we did. And the reports at the bottom of that 
thing right now. It's two pages long. It's a PDF I attached to it. It says, much long x-ray shrapnel. This guy glows in the dark. I mean, he's got more friggin' metal in him than he on his rib cage. He's got a in his forehead, and the VA didn't know that? He, he filed for it in 1970 on his 526, that 26-page long form. It's onion skin and everything else. It's signed on there. It's the very first claim on of his 4 or 5, and it says SFW to head. And they never, ever looked at it. All, they did, all the guy did is he looked at his noggin, and he goes, well, you got a healed scar there. And Butch is going, yeah, but feel this. The guy goes, well, it's a scar. I know. Butch was trying to get him to take his hand and put it on top of that three-millimeter chunk of metal on his forehead. The guy wouldn't even touch it, wouldn't even acknowledge it. It's, that claim is still open, if you can believe it. Wow. 1970, April. I mean, I'm not going to go May, June. How about 80, 90, 110, 46 years ago? I think Butch has got a lot. Of, I looked at his 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 fortune on his fortune cookie over at his house and it says, you're in for some big bucks soon, Bubba. <laughs> you know, I have historical compensation rates on the site going back, but I only go back to 1974 so people can figure out their retroactive pay. Well, that's a little bit further than I was looking for. What I've been trying to do, and I'm getting uh, Ben Krause to, uh, he's, God, he can excavate anything. He's getting the old, um, the old rating schedule from Part Four. The older ones, like the forty-five, went up to about sixty-one. They changed it, and they changed it again in eighty-four. I think eighty-five added the whole PTSD thing in there. And a lot of times, when you're looking to see what they could rate you on, you can look at one of these things like Butch Long's here. They didn't have TBI, so you couldn't rate for TBI in 1970, but you had brain concussion and a few other things. Ben swore up and down when we were there at the, at the gig that he was going to uh, <clears throat> excavate that out. He knew where to find it. He had already found it in the Federal Register. He just had to excavate it, print it, and he's going to put it all together for us. I think he's right. probably going to on his site. If he does, I'm going to put a link to it on my site. I know it was helpful to me. I filed in 94 for a bunch of stuff. Finally, when VA did rate me, they rated me on hemic lymphatic disorder uh, uh, anemia as DC 7700 in 1994. And so I was eligible for 60%, but they wouldn't go the, the full meal deal to 100 for me. But it's interesting to realize that you can reach back and say, well, you should have rated me under this code. You can't use one from now because it wouldn't apply. But right. when you're doing those Q claims that reach way back, it's nice to have that extra Part 4 diagnostic code to know what you were, what they were supposed to rate you under. Yeah, I so, agree. It would be great if Ben could put that up. That would be very helpful to a lot of people. Well, I think he's going to have his hands full this summer and this fall. His wife's eating a lot of ice cream and pickles right now. Oh, is she now? Yes, she is. Oh, how wonderful! Yeah, yeah, it is. It's uh, everybody's real. Got big green, big grins and smiles on their faces. So, I wish him the best. Well, you know, know. 
sure is nice having other people on the internet doing veteran stuff besides me. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually advocating for veterans rather than telling them to throw throw down on their claims and go home. Right. Yeah, I've never been a big believer in that. Well, no, I. That's a boy. That's a hard point with me. Is that, you know, even if you stepped on your necktie and filed something wrong, it's better to approach the VA and say, "Let's recharacterize it as this," rather than, "Okay, I'll give up on that claim. I, I, I don't. I'm going to retract that. I'm withdrawing that appeal." <clears throat> I strongly advocate nobody ever retreat on anything. Because all that is to a, the VA is, is waving a white flag, and to them that's just like invites more white flagging. <laughs> They'll come after you the moment you start waving that thing. I, I'm sure. I'm, I'm positive. Well, you know, when I first started out, the VSOs I had, for the most part, were always talking to me about not filing and not going any further than they were really supportive. Well, we know that, and, and we know why now, in retrospect, when you read the charters for DAV and all these boys, we swear to help everything we can to help the Veterans Administration adjudicate their claims. And nowhere does it say anything about it. We swear to help that veteran adjudicate his claims. They don't work for you. They work with you. <clears throat> That's where I think being a VA claims agent is the cat's pajamas, because well, yeah, I can charge some money for it, but more appropriately, when somebody's got bucks invested into it, like going out and buying you a Nexus letter from a, a doctor or something to put in your file so you can win, that person's far more interested in seeing you win and getting his Nexus money back out of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Whereas a VSO, hell, they're going to get $49,000 a year, regardless of what they do for you or to you or against you. I was reading a BVA decision the other day, and the the VA, the the veteran service officer actually walked in there in the middle of a hearing, uh, said, well, yeah, but he was a heroin addict, right? Right to the DRO during the the hearing or the video hearing. He says, yeah, but he was a drug addict. We have to, you know, that's part of the record, you know. Well, you, you don't do that to your client. I mean, it might be on the record, but you sure as hell don't have to draw attention to the veterans' law judge to the to the to the point. I, that, that's kind of not not what you want for representation, I guess I should say. Yeah, uh, that is correct. Kind of throws a monkey wrench into the claim, really hard. But, that's where I say choose your representation wisely, folks, and listen to this man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's unreal. Sometimes you're, you're 14, 15 years into a, and they regional won't re- officers, or what do you call them, three different uh, VSOs, and I lost all three times with them. I didn't yeah. win until I did it myself. Yeah. So we do yeah. I'll hold up. What's that? Well, how many veterans we got out here that have lost their claims and just give up because of a sorry-ass VSO? There's a lot of them. 
Yeah, well, as they say, you read those BVA claims, that's the first inkling that you can get of just how bad it really is. Uh, I'll go on to the next subject I have on, that I wanted to talk about. And, and I see a lot of discussion about it on Teresa's site there. A lot of people say, well, what about a DRO hearing? What should I do? Should I do one? Shouldn't I do one? Should it be informal? Should it be formal? Should I go by myself? Should I bring my wife? Should I bring my next-door neighbor? What should I do? How should I do it? Can I record it? What's going on? You know, how? I want right. to know more about it. And you almost ought to, Teresa, you're almost going to have to set up a, a separate shop right there for DRO reviews because it's eating the VA appeals process folder <laughs> alive with all the DRO uh, questions that come up there. And... Uh, I got a really good briefing on it there. The guy's name was Bob Goss. See, when I'm looking at his name here on my site, it says Goss at gosslaw.com, and he's got a telephone number. I put that up on my site. He's got PC after his name, which I'm not familiar with. Most attorneys have Esquire or JD after their name. Not sure what that implies as PC, private contractor, or what. <laughs> Think when I get when I finally win, I think I'm going to write non-attorney practitioner after my name, NAP. Well, the only thing I is professional corporation. I've seen that, but I I don't know after a lawyer's name. Yeah, and you know lawyers. I mean, they're, they're they don't have their noses up in the air, but they all think they're God's gift to you know the legal world. After they get a JD after their name, most of them are pretty happy to put that or Esquire after it. Well, let me. Old Bob Goss, Robert Goss, he's a, he ain't no spring potato man. This guy's seasoned. He knows what he's doing, and his briefing was just over the top. When you when you go into a TRO hearing, you go in there, and you're the boss. You're not sitting there holding your hat in your hands and bowing and 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 wanting to shake his hand and, and, and say, you know, don't forget the benefit of the doubt, sir. You go in there literally with bows and arrows, and you lay down the law with the guy and make sure he knows what he's supposed to be doing. These, too often, these DRO reviews, and I've been in, I've been in a few of them. The one I had in '91 was pretty interesting. The guy with all shits and grins, big smile on his face. Yeah, well, yeah, here, yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's, yep, uh huh. I see exactly what you're talking about. Well, I lost, but. <clears throat> I brought new and material evidence to that thing. I brought Air America records, which they apparently don't consider to be service military records. <laughs> they sure seem. I don't. They weren't writing my paycheck back then. I think I was still getting an Air Force paycheck, but they didn't sure. Well, I reported to. But you walk in there to talk to a DRO. You make sure that you. Make a bargain with him, shake his hand, lick him right now, and say, "This is what we're going to do. I need, I need 60 minutes to make this thing happen. We're going to do this on the clock, on the record, with the tape recorder rolling, because I don't feel like having to haul this whole process, the same argument, back up to the Board of Veterans' Appeals and doing it again." You, you focus the whole thing on what he did wrong, what they did wrong. You can. You don't blame him, obviously, because he's there to look at it as a de novo review. But mm -hmm. by the same, and you want to make sure that he's aware a, a law was broken, 
or the evidence was missing, even though it had been submitted. And that's why you always bring extra copies of everything you got. And right. And really what Bob Goss pointed out is he says, when you go in there, you better be sporting some new and material evidence. Go out and get another Nexus letter if you have to. That always carries the day anyway. Anytime you've got two of a kind and your and your, your opponent on the other side of the table has got five cards and he's only got ace high and nothing else, you want to have a pair or three of a kind. And so when you do that, he automatically realizes his hand is trash and he's never going to win this thing and he's going to be obligated or convinced that it's in VA's best interest to, to let you win or give it to you. As you know as well as I do, we're guilty until proven innocent. It, right. That's what it is. I mean, it's unfortunate in America that we'd even have to go in there and plead this kind of thing. It's even worse that you have to lose before you can get an attorney to get there to plead it. <laughs> that's, the, I think, the most disgusting thing. But, boy, if you're going to go in there, have bullets for your gun. Don't walk in there with an unloaded gun and start saying, well, you know, I don't think that, that, that Raider sure wasn't very nice to me. You know, it didn't seem like to me he was listening to me when I, we gave him all that evidence, and he come up with a completely different conclusion. You don't want to be arguing like that. You want to be saying the goddamn guy don't know how to read the M21, and here's why, and here's the correct way to read it, and and here's some more evidence while we're at it. And, yeah, you know what? We don't need to wait 60 more days. You go ahead and start adjudicating this thing tomorrow morning if you want to, and and this is how we're going to do this. And I'll tell you what else. My client here, Johnny Vett, he's willing to drop that stupid tinnitus and hearing claim but I, and and he's even possibly willing to write off the Hallas valgus and and the otitis media coming out of his ears. He can walk away from that, but I think you ought to go ahead and give him a hundred percent TDIU on that back claim, because that's you know that's what's going to prevent him from working the rest of his life, not some tinnitus or some flat feet. Right. So we'll we'll throw down. We'll we'll pull. We'll, let's conserve. Uh, precious judicial resources for some other veteran down the line, sir, and we'll withdraw those claims if you're prepared to give us 100%. And I'll tell you what, you can bargain with these guys, but you can't do it out front in front of people, and you can't do it on paper. You just got to – that's the kind of stuff you talk about before you turn the microphone on. <laughs> well, you know, they – Oh, you can't do any horse trading with them. They won't. You can't do that. Well, you can't do them on the microphone, on. That's for damn certain, sure. Well, you know, sometimes they've been known to call you and go, look, you know, we'll give you this if you'll drop that. That's right. And that's what they did with me when I got up to the CAVC. They said, okay, okay, he's right. Well, go ahead. If he'll drop his tinnitus for that extra year on the tinnitus, from 93 to 94, we'll give you a hepatitis C and porphyria all the way back to 1994 at 100%. We said, okay, sounds good. I'll take three. Right. <laughs> what would I have gotten out of tinnitus at $21 a month or 17 or $21 a month for uh, for a year? What is that? About 210 250 bucks. I just right. threw it in there just to make the, the, the notice of appeal look bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up on my back claim, too, because I figured if I got 100% at 94, the most I'd ever do would spend another 10 years fighting for 10% to 20% for my back. And I, you know, it wasn't that much money back then. 1994, 1989, 20% rating, you weren't looking at a whole lot of money. 
Right. Uh, we we have a caller here, I believe. A uh, caller. Uh, caller, you have a question or comment? Oh, I guess we don't. Sorry. Go ahead, Alex. Okay. But anyway, as I said, when you walk in there, you walk in there with a purpose. You don't come in there with a, you know, skipping or hopping along gaily. You walk in there with a, with a resolve, and you say, the rules are in my favor. The, the evidence is in my favor. I don't know how you... That chowder head that you call a veteran service representative, the GS-10 that came up with this brilliant piece of logic. But here it is. Look, he was in Vietnam, so he automatically gets diabetes mellitus. I don't know how he how you could not read that that way. He gets Parkinson's disease, and here's the here's you know my nexus from the doctor, and the doctor says that he's got he's got the shakes. You know, he's he's good for 40, 60 percent. We're not arguing that. He was in Vietnam. It shows right there on his 214. How did your raider ever come to the conclusion that he wasn't in Vietnam? You've got to stand from a position of strength and uh, to deal with these jokers. Otherwise, they're going to run you around the corral just like your cattle. Right. So, you know, Mr. Goss's full idea on this thing was be nice to him, be gentle, be polite. But be firm and and try to make the hearing productive. And the biggest thing he brought out, and it's, I wrote about it here, and I even put a link to it, is, is 3.103, subparagraph C, subparagraph 2. And that's it basically it's one of those boilerplate things that's right after the benefit of the doubt at 3.102. And it tells you about what the purpose of a hearing is for. It was added in when they came out with the VCAA back in 2001-2002. If you remember that, that's when they spilled the beans and said, oh, you, we forgot to mention, you guys need a nexus letter when you do this, too, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> you know, up until then, it was kind of common knowledge among attorneys that Calusa versus Brown in 94 had stated the three things we needed, but VSOs didn't tell us, and that's who the majority of us used for legal representation. It was a big, deep, dark secret. If you didn't have the secret handshake and the and the, and the special knock that you couldn't get in the door, it was the only rid- way you learned that was, <laughs> was going ridic- to school and becoming a jurist doctor and, <laughs> and learning VA law and reading it. And then all of a sudden you went, oh well, hey, how come all you guys don't know that? I figured it out finally in 2008, about 10 minutes before I lost, and it saved my saved my bacon. I just walked back into the doctor and said, hey, would you write this? And he goes, sure. And that's all it was, was and I won. 16 years of trying, banging my head against the wall, and I won in two months just giving him a piece of paper. So anyway, 3.103, just uh, C2, basically just sums it up and says, you know, what we're all supposed to do here, me, the DRO, and you, the VSO, or you, Alex Graham, a VA agent, or you, Bob Walsh, the attorney, and Johnny Vett, we're all three together here with a purpose, and the purpose is to get Johnny Vett the money. That's the name of the game. We're not trying to prevent him from getting it. We're not trying to forget to tell him something they might need to get it. It says right there in the regulation, it says, 
It's a responsibility of the VA employee or employees, which are DROs, conducting the hearings to explain fully the issues and suggest a submission of evidence which the claimant may have overlooked and which would be of advantage to the claimant's position. So if you read this 3.103C2 right into the record before uh, when they first turn the microphone on, everybody holds their hands up and swears to tell the truth, you read this into this thing, if the VSO, or excuse me, VSO, if the decision review officer fails in doing that, it's great grounds for reversal at the Court of Veterans' Appeals and or at the Board of Veterans' Appeals because it clearly shows that you told him, you put him on notice about what his requirements or what his job, to, what he was required to do as a DRO and what that hearing was all about. It puts him on notice that that's what he has to do. And if he doesn't explore all the different ideas of how he could get me the money for my client, then he has failed in his job as a DRO. He shouldn't sit there like a bump on a log and just wait for a VSO or an attorney to um, interview and and ask questions of the claimant, the veteran. He should be proactive. He should say, okay, gosh, this looks good, but you know what? If Unless he comes up with a nexus letter from his doctor that says if this is the case, we can't give him the money. That's where you won't see DROs or hearing officers, even BVA guys. You Very rarely do you see them open their mouth and say, oh, you know what, if you want to win, you better do this. They don't give you that help. They're supposed to. And this 3.103C2 clearly states that's what their job, that's, that, that's, their, that's the whole reason for holding the hearing is to see if we can get Johnny his money. <clears throat> and if we if you don't hold the hearing, you can't get that one on one with the DRO. If, if it's done correctly and you go in there from a position of authority, you'll win every time, 100 percent of the time. But again, it's just like I taught when I first wrote my first book. It's a recipe like baking cookies. There's no shortcuts. You can't go in there and just start whining. You can't go in there and beg for mercy. You have to go in there with uh, an M79 thumper, and you got to have a bunch of different rounds, HE and Flechette and everything else you can find, because <clears throat> you're not going to go in there and, and get his attention by by begging for for things. You, you go in there by asking for them because you're owed them. That's the most veterans just don't get that. I hear every one of them over the years have told me, like, Teresa, well, you know, the, the VSO told me I, we, we'll look greedy if I ask for 10% for tonight. Oh, yeah. the big well, maybe one. I better wait five years. Yeah, that'd be a real good idea, son. It, that's, what that, that's the culture they teach. And the new thing now since 2007 when they let veterans uh, attorneys into this project for more than $10 for representing vets it opened up a big can of worms for VA. They now all of a sudden they've got real legal help helping veterans, real people who know what they're doing. And it's no longer 500 VA attorneys against some stupid VSO. And that's all I'm going to say about that. All right then. But uh, <clears throat> I have a list on my site here of, of notes and says here's 
here's things you should never do at a DRO. Never go to a DRO hearing without new and material evidence, and I guess I need to point that out because I think that's a prerequisite. I also put on there, take witnesses with you. I don't care if you bring the whole Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They probably aren't going to fit into the room, but, you know, it's nice to take a a witness like your wife and say, yeah, well, when Johnny came back from Vietnam, man, he got kind of warped. He liked to sleep under the bed instead of on top of it and always had a handgun in in each hand while he was sleeping. That kind of put me off because it's hard to roll over on that cold steel. Right. So you got to say things like, you know, when when he left, he wasn't that way, and he was when he came home. So, yeah, I think he has PTSD. I'm not a doctor. I'm just telling you what I saw. Right. And then you have the next-door neighbor says, well, yeah, he is kind of a little hinky there. You know, I noticed that he he always sits, when we go to the coffee shop, he always sits in the back with his back to the wall, and he doesn't have a lot of friends, and sometimes he gets kind of stinky because he forgets to take a bath. I mean, you can have people make these assessments that show that you're not hitting on all eight cylinders to up your rating, if it is, or even to get the service connection. <clears throat> but you make you make the veteran a person instead of a Social Security number with a hearing. It gets the DRO out of a file and into a room with people, a person, you're no longer a, a two-dimensional eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. You're no longer something in a PDF file on a computer screen. You're a physical person with a with a face and a and a story. And you have good evidence, and the DRO is going to feel like a dumb shit if he doesn't give you your money because he knows you. He knows you. They owe it to you, and and you prove that to him. But being in front of him, I think it just. I've always been a big fan of, of travel board hearings. I've never ever done a video conference because I don't care if I got to wait a year for it. To hell with it. The, the thing is, I get to talk to the VLJ. I get to look him right in the eye. I get to shake his hand. I get to get inside of his mind and see whether he's a, you know, a Trump guy or a Hillary Clinton kind of guy or whatever. You, can, right. you like Never. to get a, a kind of a feel for who your opponent is in this program. And the, if you think that he's a raging liberal, I don't think that that has any particular up or down on it. But I've noticed that liberal people don't like veterans at the Veterans Administration. And conservative guys generally are veterans themselves and have walked the walk that you're going to be in. And they just tend to be conservative. That's all. So I, I'm not, I don't like to drag politics into it, but if you can get a feel for how they feel, it would give you a good idea of where you're going with it. But Mr. Goss, in his uh, briefing that we went to, it took it to that whole new next level where you just walk in and you, you're the boss. You, don't, you just walk all over the guy, put on your big shoes and start walking. And, and don't allow him to stand up. Give them, give them the respect that they're due. But always get it out there and, and say we're right and this is wrong and this is why and, and we think you got to change it and and we're prepared to go to the BVA so don't think it's just going to die here. Don't ever give them the idea that you're just going to throw down if you lose. Always go on the record, Mr. God said. Always go on the record. Never go off the record because if you go off the record. Nobody can say what happened. Nobody can say, well, I thought we agreed to this. Well, no, we didn't. It was off the record. 
What are you talking about? Show, show it to me. I don't see it written down anywhere. You do that, you're, you're a fool. Your attorney is a fool if you go off the record. You're, it, just, it, it just makes no sense. I, I don't even care if you got your leg blown off and you got a purple heart in one hand and, and three buddy letters saying that you, you lost it at July in 1968. <laughs> Go on the record. Right. Um, if there's something, as I said earlier, I think if the DSR, DRO discovers there's something missing that help you win, then you have to ask for the record to be left open for 60 days to allow you to get it, be it a... a a correction, a, a better nexus letter that takes the word probably out and adds in at least as likely as not, which, you know, most most doctors would be more than happy to do. They don't understand quantitative testimonial language that's unequivocal. You can't say might have, could have, quite probably, quite possibly. You can't use anything like that with the VA. They'll just seize on it and you'll lose. And... <clears throat> Technically, a DRO is supposed to point that out to you and say, hey, you got this probably ain't going to get it. But he doesn't want to contradict what the VA's very own VA examiner has already said, that it's at least as not as least as likely as not that it's related to service. The DRO doesn't want to cross his own guy and cross over the line and come to you and say, you better fix this. If, if you're dependent on this, it isn't going to work. That's what 3.103C2 forces him to do. And if he doesn't, then it's remandable, it's reversible, he's broken the law. And you get him right between the short hairs there because you put that into the file, he was aware of it as being added into the recorded evidence, and he chose to ignore that and deny you. But it's it's valuable legal stuff that you want to know. <clears throat> well, how, are there? Uh, I know that a lot of attorneys are now starting to practice veterans law. Or well, you how, should have seen the crowd I ran into. The room was full last week. Brand new, wet behind the ears, right out of law school. Yeah. I've been seeing a trend to that. I think it's a good thing for veterans. I think it is, too, and they're all flocking to the big big guns like Bergman and Bergman and Bergman and Moore or whatever, and <clears throat> Bob Chisholm, Chisholm and Kilpatrick and, and a lot of these other big term, big outfits like Ken Carpenter's. And that's good because they'll get a, a, a good dose of learning, but most of them just have the basic knowledge of a Juris Doctorate, three years of law school, and they actually haven't cracked the books and looked at 38 CFR, 38 USC, or M21, or M28, or any of that stuff. So <clears throat> you can see a lot of them had that glazed look on their eyes when they're taking in all this new information down there in Las Vegas. It's, it's all new to them. They really don't understand VA law, how you, how you can open up something that died in 1971 just by declaring clear and unmistakable error. There are so many quirks of VA law that you can get away with that you cannot do in regular law. A veteran has so many presumptions of soundness, regularity, uh, 
there's a long, you know, there's just a long list of stuff that we are automatically given right out of the gate before we even push print on our first claim. Yep. <clears throat> One thing, as far as hearings go, even though it isn't a DRO hearing, it's while I've been studying for this VA law exam that I'm getting ready to take. I've been digging, and they've taken me into part one, part 14, part, of course, three and four, which I'm pretty well versed in, but part 14, uh, 19, and 20, which are the two big ones for the BVA adjudications, regulations, and whatnot. And I got a big dose of predetermination hearings that I had to read up on for one of the questions. It was a, a test question. Uh, the gentleman that gave the class on VA uh, agents exams, his name is Alan Gumpenberger, he turned out he was sick with the flu and couldn't be there, but he sent another guy that worked for him out there from West Virginia, and he's just as knowledgeable. In fact, he's given the briefing before, so he's well-versed in it. <clears throat> he pointed out, something he says you know you you're not limited to just punching print on a 526 ez sending it in with your bundle of evidence that you think is going to support it and your nexus letters and your dbqs etc etc it's you have a right to what's called a predetermination hearing and it's like if you would a a pre dro hearing it's it, it's the perfect Thing. It's the best of both worlds, especially if you have a somewhat um, a claim that that's going to be a stiff one. Like a good example would be a hepatitis jet gun claim. Uh, I got two jet guns. I just got another one. Uh, the gal that found the first batch just got me another one, so I'm going to have two. I'll be able to send them around the country and help veterans. Uh, use them, have their attorneys whip these things out and go, come on, Your Honor, do you honestly believe this thing is sanitary? But right. you want to have good evidence, but more appropriately, when it's, when it's a real bone of contention and it's almost brand new law, and we are winning these things, I might add, at the BVA now, the jet gun claims, it would be nice to take this gun out or at least a video of it, if I can get a video shot, because uh, Chris Attig and I are talking about doing a webinar on it, which would be a video of sorts that you could present as evidence to a veteran's law judge, and it would show the operation of the gun, how it works, put some food coloring into the vial, shoot it, and watch. Oh, my goodness, look, there's food coloring on the end of the gun, so how could it be sanitary for the next guy? <clears throat> anyway... You can go in and have a predetermination hearing. You can assemble all your evidence. You can submit it with your 526-EZ, all your documents, everything you've got, and then you can also put a notation in there, a separate sheet of paper, and say, I wish to have a predetermination hearing before you adjudicate my claim. I would like to meet with the VSR, the Veteran Service Representative, or the RVSR and or plural RVSRs who will be adjudicating my jet gun claim as I wish to present evidence in person at the time of that predetermination hearing. And you show up with the jet gun. And it's positive evidence to win it there and then than it would be to have to wait 
what we're waiting now is about four years to get a, a docket heard unless you get an advance on the docket, uh, Rule 900, because you're dying or something or running out of money living underneath the bridge. It, you, can, you can win. There's no reason you can't win a jet gun claim at the regional office if you could if you could get through to these guys, and that's what it would require doing is a predetermination hearing. But hell, if it saves you four years, then it's money in the bank, even if you had to wait six months for the hearing. But what do you all think of that one? Sharp, pretty smart move. Well, I think it, it, it's if it's a claim that you're gonna, you know you're going to have a long, hard time fighting and winning, like maybe Agent Orange in... Anderson Air Force Base in Guam or something, exposure like that, where you know you're going to have a long, hard fight. That's that's the kind of claim that it might be the one that you want a predetermination hearing on. But, you, again, you want to marshal your forces, have nexus letters. You want to have everything, all your ducks in a row before you walk in that door. You want to just blow them over. You want to make them think that they don't have a rat's-ass chance in hell of winning that claim and denying you your money. You want to make it sew it up. You want that thing to be so ironclad you couldn't get into it with a blowtorch. You want it, it's you want to, every piece of evidence to just point in one direction and one direction only to where the rating guy can come to any other conclusion other than that you're right and, and that they should pay you. That's what I like doing. It's just, just snow them under with the evidence. Don't give them any kind of edge. Don't give them an opening or they'll take it. At least that's no what wiggle. I... No wiggle Exactly. No wiggle room. I wrote that in my book, I think, Teresa, where I said, make it... Make your claim look like a rock wall without a little hole or nothing in it that you can even get a finger grip into. <laughs> you can't scale it. You can't defeat it. Right. I see too many people send me letters and notices and things and say, like, well, here's my doctor's nexus. What do you think? Do you think I can win this thing? And you read it, and you realize this guy doesn't, he's not going to get there. The doctor's not. Well, the doctor might have said, "Yeah, oh, I, yeah, it's directly related to a service," and that's all he says. He doesn't say because, and that's where VA kills you. I, I, I just getting a nexus letter. I don't know you. I've, I've got that thing up on my site called the Nexus Bible, and I tried to explain it. But just having a nexus letter is not just having a nexus letter. Sometimes, sometimes it's. About as useless as a, a can trying to bail out the Titanic as it's going down. It's, you need, to, you know, there's certain requ- requirements in, in winning this game, and they're all real easy. And I noticed that there's a whole bunch of similar stuff on the other side of the sheets where uh, Social Security claims are concerned, and Social Security attorneys, and so on and so forth. You don't see very many. Guys over there win those Social Security claims and then go up on appeal without an attorney. I just don't think you see that very frequently, a pro se vet. No. Of course, they don't have VSOs over there for Social Security. Hey, yes. Thank God. 
very oh, well. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Well, anyway, that's kind of some of the stuff I learned, but there were just so many experiences, like uh, the Friday night they had a reception and a, and a social hour down in a private room with some really killer hors d'oeuvres and lots of adult beverages. I'm standing there as the same Veterans Law Judge I was talking to you about, Brad Hennings, real nice guy. He turns to me and says, have you met Judge Lance yet? And I says, no, I haven't. And Judge Lance had given us a discussion on where the Court of Veterans' Appeals was going a couple hours earlier in a, one of the presentations that they had. And he gave us a real preconcise idea of where they're heading with the Court of Veterans' Appeals. They need more justices. They're calling in all the retired ones, the senior judges who have retired, like, uh, to try to keep up with the problem. And the problem being is really simple, is that people must have read my blog about how to file an extraordinary writ. And they are getting inundated in extraordinary writs, forcing the VA to run from bush to bush to try to fix something, running from one regional office to the next. Bob, hurry up. Send that guy his SOC. Bob, grant this. Jim, do that. Hey, well, we forgot to do this guy back in 2010. Somebody dropped it. Fix him quick. Okay, go over there and fix that one. The VA has to respond in 30 days when you file an extraordinary writ, and it doesn't cost a dime if you're broke. I mean, you got to prove you don't have $2 million. That's broke. If you if you have more than $2 million, then you got to pay your $50 to file the, the extraordinary writ. But if you do it without an attorney, you don't have to do it in eight duplicate, I think it was. I had to send eight copies of that to the uh, McDonald and four copies to Allison and two copies to the guy that's in charge of the VA in Seattle and two, two to the Veteran Service Center manager, Ann Lofgren. I was just... By the time I got it all finished, it cost me $240 to send it to everybody. Oh, my land. <laughs> yeah, I got $70,000. You got $2 million, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> the way I see it, that quarter horse I have is a quarter horse. It's not a thoroughbred. It's one quarter of a horse. It ain't near as expensive as my thoroughbred. <laughs> I'd probably, I ought to be able to, Claim that as a loss. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Brad Hennings drags me over and shake hands with Judge Lance, and I says, "You know, it's a kind of a funny thing. I've got a EAJA uh, Equal Access to Justice funds request in front of the court right now. I'm asking for a panel on it because it it counter it contradicts Buckhannon and, and Brickwood." And, and Alan Lance looks at me and he goes. You know, we can't talk about that, don't you? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Okay. I'll shut up. But my name's Alex Graham. You'll probably see me. <laughs> Stock it there. I just want you to know who I am. I'm a real nice guy. <laughs> so I'm probably going to get in jail for that. But uh, it, it, that's the kind of... I can't even try to convey to you. As you turn around, and right behind you is Ken Carpenter, and Ken goes, Alex, how you doing? And you go, hi, Ken. You know, and it's like, 
Ken Carpenter. Holy shit, Batman. I mean, this, the guy's uh, he's exalted in my book, and yet he is a, he's just a natural guy, the nicest guy, just like you and me. He's a, you know, he doesn't think he's hot, hot snot. He doesn't treat himself as a big cheese of anything. He's approachable. You can shake his hand. You have your picture taken with him as long as you promise not to embarrass him in the next life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, for us, he's legendary. Exactly. And for me to have somebody like him or, or a VLJ or, or a Court of Veterans Appeals Justice to just lean over and shake it. Hey, Alan, have you ever met Alex? You know, well, no, I haven't, as a matter of fact. Hi, Alex, how you doing? Well, I'm doing real good. If the VA had sent me that exam request, I'd be real happy, but you can't control that. I understand that. Everybody is so congenial that you meet. It, it, it's, it's just it's phenomenal, and nobody acts like they're God's gift to lawyers. They're all just normal people, just like... You and me and John yeah. and Gerald. I'm hoping to get there next year. I wanted to go this year, but it just got away from me. Yeah, you could go in on a kind of a cheap thing like I did last year so that you can still attend all the conference uh, minutes and stuff, all the posts or all the people, the presentations. I went as a student last year, and I think they gave me a, a kind of a non-member student rate of it, like, 175 bucks or something like that it was real cheap, but I got That's to right. go everywhere, do everything, meet everybody, see everything. It was just, it was an amazing, uh, amazing experience. This year was a learning experience, and, and the next one next year is going to be in San Antonio. I don't know which hotel yet, but I know it's going to be in San Antonio, and I'll be down there for that one. Well, maybe I'll see you. It's, but, you know, it is strange when you meet somebody and they've heard, like if I meet somebody and they've heard of had it, it always surprises me because I'm just sort of me here. Too, exactly. It's only because you're asking God. Ben Krause's wife, we were having dinner in a, in a or dinner hors d'oeuvres or whatever, a brewski in a, in a uh, Irish pub uh, that another attorney says, "Oh, we just got to go to this. We got to go to this." So we went down the street to the the pyramid thing, whatever that's called, uh, the that big gold pyramid uh, casino that's down there. The can't think of the name of it right offhand. So anyway, we're in there <clears throat> having a beer and something or other, and and I can't remember who it was leaned across the table and says. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. You sure get pretty spiky on that Ask Nod stuff. And and Ben's wife, Gretchen, leans over and looks at Ben and says, Who's Ask Nod? And Ben points at me, and she looked at me. I was sitting right beside her, and she looks at me. We've been talking for four days now. I met her last last year in San Francisco. And she's, You're Ask Nod? I didn't know that. <laughs> and you know, to have a veteran's law judge come up to you and say, so you're asked not. I'm just like, God, who would think anybody would even know about us? But apparently, you know, people do. Yeah. I look forward to meeting you and having my picture took with you because you're my inspiration, Teresa. Oh, well, Alex, you're so sweet. I uh, <laughs> I am looking forward to meeting all of you. I uh very... Uh, you know the, you, the stuff you're doing on Ask Nod and Chris Attic is doing, and 
Ben Cross is doing. I mean, these these are just some incredible, wonderful resources that veterans have now that, you know, just didn't exist decades ago. I know. The Internet is the most amazing device ever created in my book, and I thank Al Gore every night in my prayers when I go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But... Uh, the Kipper does too. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. I when I told people, you know, the internet is the way, and people just looked at me like I was hauling at the moon and painted my butt blue. They just thought I was. <laughs> but well, my wife after like, I won, I. I ended up kind of on that old Delphi board helping a bunch of guys that from hepatitis C vets, HC vets. Her gal's name is Patricia Lupole. And then her husband died in 2011. But I set up to ask, she set up to ask Nod thing, which is a good thing for me. It's just that I ended up having to pay for it before I moved it to WordPress. <clears throat> but I never ever thought I'd be famous outside of maybe 300 or 500 people might know about me that I'd help them win or something. Uh, when I came to Haddit, the only reason I came over there is Loyal, a Bronco vet, one of the right. guys I helped and was over there a lot. So I kind of, he says, you got to come over here and meet some of these guys here in worse shape than you can even imagine. <laughs> I, Good. I bet you if you look back on your membership roll, somewhere you're going to find my name signed up as G.A.E. Graham. Uh, uh, God, maybe 2008, 2010, somewhere in there I signed up. But when I came back again, I came back as Ask Not. I didn't feel like using my whole real name until I won completely at the VA. So I don't know. If, if you do find G.A.E. Graham in your membership, erase it. I know it's going to screw up your numbers, but I can't be in there twice. No, no. Uh, it won't. I, uh, I don't mind telling you, uh, I've made the gamut, the run around all the major VA help sites, and yours was the, uh, the model that I wanted to emulate in terms of being a helpful situation and not a critical situation where you had to patrol the thing and start cutting uh, bad things out or, or, or 86 in people for making comments. The people that come to your site are ladies and gentlemen. They're, they're scholars. They're, they're, they're real people. They're not vindictive, angry, the kind of people that are just waiting for somebody to bait them so that they can turn on them like a pit bull or something like that. Everybody comes to your site for the most part. I've met a few. A few, different, but uh, <laughs> the majority of them, I mean, 99.99999% are industrious learners. They, they want to help other people. I wish they'd help more after they win, but hang around and teach other ones the way you and I have been teaching people for years. It's, uh, it's important that you carry on the tradition that once you win, give back, pay it forward. Right, give back. That's been my whole thing. And uh, it's hard to get people to come back and say, "Hey, man, come back and teach everybody what you know and show them how to do it," or come to my site, go someplace. You have too much knowledge, and you need to share it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that, and then they never do. Where? Well, some people, by the time it's over, they're just burnt. 
out. Oh, I agree. You know. Yeah. We do, I mean, we get a lot of people who come back and help, and we do have a pretty great community. I mean, we do have people who try to troll and stuff, but we keep a pretty good eye on that, and we try to stick to our mission, which is helping veterans help themselves with their VA claims and help each other. And uh, it's it must be working because I'm still here. <laughs> well, yeah. T-Bird, you've got some, you've got some help, you need some good help. So you're, you know, and that's uh, of course you know you, you can't, not, uh, you know, advertise the success success the success have had it without you know just the just some of the members that you know have been there forever to help you too. You know, like Berta and other people. Oh my God. I mean, that's it. It's really, that's what I always tell people. It's less about me and more about the membership. Because really, the membership is what makes it or breaks it. And they make it every day. And there are dedicated people that have been going to there for over a decade just to help. Bert is a great example. Carly was another one. You, Carol, Pete. I mean, you know, Bronco, it just goes on and on. You know, it's it's essential that people like that exist in this business, especially the internet. I've, as you said, I've cruised all over. I, I, I'm not going to go into the negatives of the, the ones that the the big one, the, the big kid on the block. I'm not going to talk about that. But I've noticed there's <clears throat> tons and tons and tons and tons of, of of sites that are almost site specific to a group of of military and to a Almost all of them have links to us or refer back to us all the time uh, on different subjects. A lot of the you get a lot of the guys for the newer stuff to Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, uh, <clears throat> the Southwest Asia vets. I, by by necessity, I try to focus on the Vietnam group because actually we comprise the largest number of veterans seeking. Uh, claims right now. I think according to the briefing we got from Ridgeway, he's another uh, big punch. He's a big big wig in the Veterans Law Judge thing there to BVA. James Ridgeway, I think his name is. Dad was a famous general. I'm sure somebody's heard of him. He he gave a briefing and he started kind of drawing a picture of what's happening at the BVA. And he said, you know, by 2027, you're going to have to call Roto Rooter because it's going to be completely plugged up. Yeah. We uh, by 2020, at the rate things are going, there'll be more than a million in the backlog in appeals just waiting for a judge. Judges are doing like 1.1 claims a day, and as Brad Hennings pointed out, that includes the ones where they have to still have to write it up and say, yeah, I'm remanding this because you need Social Security records, re-adjudicate it. If you can't, whip out a SSOC and shoot it back up here. Yeah. They've, they've cut the corner and say, screw it. You guys screwed this thing up so bad, to hell with it. I'm sending it over there to the appeals management center where they've already hired about another 40. Uh, each one of those guys at the AMC, I might point out, is like a GS-12, GS-13. They're all DROs. There are no GS-9 gomers just learning how to do claims. Everybody at the Appeals Management Center has got a Ph.D. in how to do a claim by now. So 
know, if it's misses of like social security records, these just kites. They don't even send them back to the RO anymore. They, they've they got this. They've uh, they've waived the waiver of review almost. And if it's something simple, they'll send it to the AMC. If it, it's social security, technically, they'll always send that back because it really deserves a new adjudication. Oh, as an example for TDIU, if nothing else. Uh, at the regional office level, so it gives the veteran another shot at another decision, another RO review if he wants it, et cetera, uh, before it comes back to the BVA. So it gives the veteran more choices to send it back like that. But if it's something simple, they kite it right over the AMC, cure the deficit, cure the problem, and they get that thing right back in front of the judge. But Hennings pointed out, he says, 1.1 claims a day is all I can crank out, whether it's an actual decision or a remand. It's six of one and a half a dozen of the other. It's a decision. Right. And so the second thing that's disgusting is that there's 44,000 claims waiting outside my front door and the other 97 judges. He said, we just hired another 10. It's like... That's like buying 10 more lifeboats for the Titanic. You still don't have seating for 1,500 more. What difference is it whether you have 10 lifeboats or 100 more lifeboats? Yeah. It, it ain't going to be enough. And, right. And like Ridgeway says, okay, let's just keep extrapolating this thing out. If we don't do anything about it, don't appropriate any more money for any more judges at the BVA, what's coming in, just coming in from the regional offices to the BVA, it's going to stack up. There'll be 440,000 claims stacked up here before 2020, waiting to be adjudicated right now. Even if we hire 100 more judges, we're still going to be behind the eight ball by 2027. Says, For some reason, somebody's not getting the appeals nightmare on Elm Street. They're not watching the movie, and that is just that you can look at the statistics this Ridgeway put out. 37% of them are Vietnam veterans. <clears throat> you keep giving us Parkinson's and B. hairy cell leukemia, we'll file for it. God dang it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and we'll win because it's a presumptive. So everybody's got it, showed up and started knocking on the door in 2010 or 2011. That's 37% of claims and appeals. Okay, 34% are coming from the Iraqistan vets, burn pits, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, and a host of other things, uh, <clears throat> minor stuff. Stuff like when you jump out of an airplane, you know, it makes you shorter. When you hit the ground after about 25 or 50 jumps, you, you're not five foot nine anymore. And, and you get a you get a your ticket punched for that when you get out of the service because you're not going to be able to walk like regular folks who didn't do it. It's going to go on by like I said by 2027 there'll be over a million claims stacked up waiting to be appealed or a BLJ to do a decision on it. And we're not, it's not going to go away. There's not going to be like a a lump in the python. Sure, the Vietnam vets are going to die out shortly. There's about true, honest-to-God guys who are walked on the landmass in Vietnam or in the brown water. There's only about 855,000 of us left. But there's a whole bunch of Vietnam-era vets that served in Germany.
Germany, Iceland, the United States, everywhere else, they're still alive and well and kicking and filing claims. Iraqistan vets, they're all filing claims. And if we didn't have another war, if we didn't have one more conflict like Grenada and not one more Nicaragua or something, it still would need 300 more veterans law judges between now and 2027 to even keep up with it. And Congress isn't going to do that. Are you kidding me? Right. What do you do when you get caught up? All you got is a whole bunch of judges making 200000 a year. You can't fire them. What do you do with them? Right. So they don't want to hire them. So that means it's got to take a big, long wait while we let them uh, adjudicate. And Henning says it's ridiculous. It's it's almost disparaging to sit there and realize that no matter how fast you're bailing out the boat, the water's coming in faster than you're bailing. It doesn't make you feel good as a judge. You don't like to have to make veterans wait. Oh, right. Yeah, I agree. It's it's ulcer-producing. <laughs> well, you know, I, I get a lot of guys who'll say, hey, uh, I, I I had my hearing with uh, Ursula Powell. She's my veterans law judge. Uh, I had my video conference with her, man. So what do you know about her? Is she like a hanging judge? And boy, I look up her decisions, and I went, well, she's not a hanging judge so much as she just fed up as Hennings or any of these guys are with a bunch of stuff that arrives that's not ready to be adjudicated, and then she has to remand it. <clears throat> she gets angry because she feels that there's some chucklehead's not doing his job at a regional office someplace. Uh, I don't think any veterans law judge has an axe to grind or a hatred for veterans. I do feel that way about the guy I got back in 2010, uh, Mark Hinden. Even when I won at the Court of Veterans' Appeals, that son of a gun wrote right in his BVA decision, I'm forced to grant his claim. Uh, when you hear somebody write something like that, he's saying subtly, he's definitely saying he is, he doesn't deserve it, but I was forced to do it against my will. I know he's guilty. I know he doesn't deserve this money, but I've been forced to give it to him. That got stuck in my craw. I, that's why I put that in my extraordinary writ. I said, I don't want that son of a bitch anywhere near any of my claims ever again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. That's unreal. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever asked for it in an extraordinary writ. They wouldn't give it to me either. But they did give me Vito Clemente, and I know he's getting ready to retire. And he, That's what he told Bob the last time you saw him down in D.C. a couple, about a month ago. But he's just training the newbies, making sure all the FNGs know how to be good BL, BVA judges, and then he's going to hang up his black robe here next three, five, six months or something like that. That's a sad day for veterans because he is always giving everybody a fair shake. I mean, if you have a bit of the doubt, let's put it that way. Yeah, I've heard good things. It's nice to know that there's 35 or 40 of them down there that's reading Ask Nod and Had It. It's funny, I mean, to think that, you know, it's, well, it's always surprises me when I find out anybody's reading my site. Well, I got to get educated somehow. 
<laughs> somehow and somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's it's amazing. There are a lot of VA attorneys that know of me or, or have read on, on my site. They read, they find some of my legal decisions I write up, and they just. No, it's kind of neat the way you write that up because I always it just gets so dry. It's like licking concrete. It's no fun reading legal decisions, and you you write it up and it's kind of funny because you use kind of funny phrases like "who doggies" or or. Oh or yeah, something. I agree with them on that. <laughs> the monotony of reading a legal decision when somebody starts injecting things like blacker than a sack of cats or like white on rice or. <laughs> I'm like phrases. You know, I was born and raised in the South, so I'm full of those. <laughs> Nervous as a cat in the room, tears, you know, them kind of things. Yeah, my mother's favorite saying was "Nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof, shitting peach stones." <laughs> I'm like, damn. Well, yeah. nervous. <laughs> Well, on my on my blog that I put up there with the had it notes, I did print one page of uh, Alan Gumpenberger's uh, uh, test questions. Uh, I wrote, uh, it kind of founded me when I started reading the questions that I expected I'm going to run into. It'd be like Perry Mason being told that he couldn't practice in front of Hamilton Burger at the Superior Court in Los Angeles County unless he went out and took three years of patent law and, and, and a major in international trade law before he could do criminal law. I'm, I think I can win anything, given the right ammunition and the right veteran. I can win a claim. I can do it. I, I, or at least I can say this. If I can't win it, I can at least tell the veteran he's never going to win it and not to waste his time on it because I can sense it just like I can feel that heat on a good one-armed bandit. Because you know when a guy's got a good claim. You know when he's got a claim that's going to be a big problem, and then you know some claims are just never going to get airborne. And right. A man knows his limitations, as Clint Eastwood said one time. And right. If you ain't going to get that puppy airborne, I don't care how much paddling and how much flapping your wings, it's not going to go get off the ground, so you don't, shouldn't waste your time on it. That's not to say that I disrespect a veteran and don't want to take his claim, or it might not be worth any money to me, but after reading the, this test and these questions, I, I realize I'm going to have, a, have to convert my recreational room into a legal library to put everything in there. I can't get it all onto a computer. I like paper. I like to, like Ben Krause, going to get all those <clears throat> rating uh, diagnostic codes from way back all the way to 1945. I want that stuff in paper where I can touch it and feel it and put tabs and little colored tabs on it. I don't want it all on a computer someplace that can crash and screw up on me or have power failure. You're going to have to build an extension to your house, Alex. <laughs> He said, if you Google my address on Google Earth, it looks like a Best Western. I don't know what my wife was thinking of, but you can see outer space. It's, I, I do not need more space. I just need to use it better. Yeah, yeah you got a nice place, Alex. They tell you this, and you can laugh if you will. My house is 6,988 square feet, not counting the garages. Oh, wow, man. <laughs> 
No idea what <laughs> she was thinking of when she did it. It's a duplex for her her parents, but they both passed, moved on, or living in a, in a rest home there. So half my house is boxed off. The power's turned off to it. The gas is turned off to it. But uh, I'd like to rent it out with that. I can't think what the name is. The Air Airbnb is what I'd like to turn it into. Yeah, that's very popular. I can't afford my horses, let alone the heat bill for the other half of my house. I'm going to make could, out of bed. Maybe you just making an Airbnb for veterans. There's an idea. You know. I never even thought about that. God, you, you have wonderful ideas. Look what you did with the Internet. Now look what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> I have ideas all the time. I just don't well, have the energy or the... Skill set. <laughs> the, the, our hepatitis C hug fest with all the veterans that belong to HC Vets came out here for September. We put everybody up. We had people popping out of every corner of the house, the septic system complaining mightily. But that's the first time I've opened up all the bedrooms and stuff. So it's a it's it's a feasible thing to do. I know I'm going to have to do something because there isn't any real security between my side of the house and the other side of the house. There's like three different ways you can come from one side to the other. So I'll have to put locks on doors and change the whole kind of operation in order to turn it into two houses, really, truly. Well, but, there's another project for you, Alex. Well, I, I hear people like when they have uh, uh, some big gig like a golfing tournament in Seattle or something, you can rent this thing out for $5,000 for five days. See, look at you. You entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I I don't think like that. My wife does. She's the one that's sitting there rubbing her hands together and talking about Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the questions I read, Gumpenberger has uh, people that he teaches uh, becoming a VA agent to as a regular basis. <clears throat> he uh, has them go, when they go take the test, they try to send back as many questions as they can remember that, uh, that they took just off the top of their head. And uh, so he's developed a, a, a batch of 99 questions. Uh, he said the test currently is 19 questions long, and they give you 90 minutes for 19 questions, and you have to pass 75%, which is kind of odd. That's 14.25 questions. So it's obviously you have to win 15 questions out of 19 in order to move on. I guess I'm not scared. It's just that I've never ever dealt with pensions. I've always been the Perry Mason kind of guy where I'm working on compensation claims almost exclusively, uh, winning claims for people, looking for exculpatory evidence, building nexus letters. I, I don't normally deal with pension or when people get into a problem and owe the Veterans Administration money because they kept taking payments after the husband died and forgot to call him up and say, uh, excuse me, quit sending the checks. Right. <laughs> and that three thousand dollars can pile up every month in a real big hurry if you're not if you don't get on the phone real quick and notify them and 
And paying it back's a bitch after you've gotten it and spent it. So you have to. Yeah, I guess you know you have to learn those laws so that you can help some of those widows and widowers and and, and whoever it was that got too big a payment and now all of a sudden they sitting there wondering what to do and and how to get out of paying it. Because VA, you know, they're like any government agency. They'll come after you. They'll sell your house and give you what's left. They'll they can well, yeah, do it. Yeah, there's no. Yeah. Yeah, you're right about that. I that's something I. Uh... Because you know, I I meet my fair share of widows and widowers, and I'm very much reminding them all the time that that's something they need to do right away. Yeah, I've heard of horror stories where gal says, "Well, I didn't know I was supposed to file a claim for DIC. Nobody told me." Yeah, but did, you you did get your husband. Uh, you did a had him do an autopsy, right? Well, no, I had him cremated. Right. What? Yeah. Kind of. Well, why is that important? <laughs> I know. I went through that with somebody not too long ago, and they said, oh, no, I'm not having that done to him. He wouldn't like I'm like, okay, well, you know. Okay. Yeah. It's real sad that, that we have to have laws the way we do in order to prove anything, anyhow, any way. But by the same token, I, I just never thought that I'd ever need to go into that. And I can see as if I do hang a shingle out that that obligation to do that is just as important as it is to filing a claim for Parkinson's. You do have to be able to help that widow out and say, oh, my God, how did you get in this predicament? Well, let's file this and let's file that and ask them to forgive the debt. I'd need to learn it. I just never, ever thought that I'd waste my time on it because I'd never practice it. But then, hell, Teresa, I never thought I was going to be a VA agent or never aspired to be one. I know. It it takes you in strange places, this journey, doesn't it? Doesn't it, though? Aren't you proud of yourself? Aren't you proud of what you've created? I'd I'd, I'd be busting that with grins all over if I'd known what I'd done to the Veterans Administration could have that effect. And you... Personally, if you ask me, you're you're the actual the flagship of this whole thing. It's just it's it's a steamroller. It's it, it's an imp, it's an immovable force that that can't be stopped. It's like you're you actually are responsible for uh, Asnod, uh, Chris Attig, and, and Ben Krauss, and that whole crowd. You're responsible for it is because your presence gave them a reason for their presence, so to speak. Well, that's sweet of you to say. It'd be nice to think that. I, 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 I do feel very proud of the work I've done. Uh, folks are completely out of time now. Yeah. <laughs> well, Teresa, you and Ashnod, I'll tell you what, we're really proud to have you on today. You've given us a lot of good information, and, and I know the members that had it there would be better off. Uh, once they get to listen to the ones that haven't listened to it, they'll certainly be in the archives. And folks, don't forget, uh, uh, it does have a donate button there. And if you can see way clear, uh, donate a dollar or two. Kind of help out the cause and keep the side going. And once again, uh, 
Thanks a lot for coming on, and John, thank you for being here. And this will be Gerald Cook with Jay Basser. We'll be signing off for now. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bachelor Show. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.